welcome to episode 87 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Phoebe. Grace Pepper. Anna Divis. Jen Orth. Taryn H. Alison Smith. Megan Lequesne. Matt. Christy Trafton. Charlotte Marsh. Etienne Coetze. Jeremiah Blackstone. Awaken Ones. Kimberly Middleton. George Mansbridge. Jade Packer. Emily May. Anne Nezovich. Jessica Hamner. Ashley Blackman. Amanda Gignac. Shell Johnson Osborne. Or Amanda, if you're Zizhnak, we couldn't we couldn't figure out which one it was, and I should have messaged you to ask, but I didn't. God, that was that felt like a bit of a marathon. Like I, I, I felt like we were gonna fall at some hurdle somewhere with those names this week. I feel like you got the short straw this week, actually. Uh, yeah, I did. But um, thank which you. I'm down for every week. Thank you so much <laughs> for being you. our Patreon subscribers. We adore you. Absolutely. We appreciate you massively. And we've got a birthday this week too. We would like to say a massive, massive, giant happy birthday to Stephen Stanbury. Not only from Kirsten, but more importantly from me and Dan. And Tiny Bims. And Tiny Bims. Happy birthday to you. That's all you get. <laughs> you don't get the rest. Stephen. <laughs> That's enough. That's all you deserve, Stephen. But happy birthday, Stephen. And as always, we have a promo this week. And our promo this week is for a relatively new podcast called Yeah, That Happened podcast. And it is a podcast that explores the weird and darker side of history. A little bit true crime, a little bit spooky and a lot ridiculous. Hosted by a mother and daughter team who think they are funnier than they are. Can you deal with a mother and daughter podcast? And and can we just make it clear that that was the promo that they wrote and that's not Emma saying oh yeah that was their promo not me that's not me going who think they're really funny but they're actually not oh oh, thanks for clarifying that so I'm going to play their promo make sure you go and have a listen if it sounds like it's your thing are you a little bit spooky a little bit murdery under caffeinated and have an unnatural affinity for the Matlock theme music. We're Nikki and Joyce, and we may be the podcast for you. So join us weekly as we drink copious amounts of coffee, occasionally a gin, depending on how dark our topic is, and share the underrated, bizarre side of history and our own special brand of inappropriate humor. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Podbean. So that was Yeah, That Happened podcast. Make sure and go and listen if you are into true crime and spooky stuff and weird stories. I couldn't think of the word for stories. How bad is that? That promo. Yeah, that happened. I like, I just wanted to make some kind of dad joke about it. It didn't really work because I left it too long because I didn't want to interrupt you. But Yeah, I, I feel like, it, I mean, it was a good dad joke. Yeah. But it, it probably, there was probably another way to make it a little yeah, bit better. Yeah, to interrupt you. But I wouldn't yeah. have done that. It's too rude. Oh, thanks very much. I interrupt you all the time. Is that passive aggressive? I don't know. No, it wasn't. So our film review this week. Our film review is The Girl with All the Gifts. Girl with All the Gifts was released in 2016. It has 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb and 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? I would. One of several children immune to a mutated fungal disease that has eradicated free will and turned the rest of humanity into cannibalistic zombies, a gifted young girl escapes the safety of a special school and helps guide mankind's survival. What were your thoughts on this film? 
I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was quite a good take on the old zombie played out storyline. I, I mean, I, I just want to caveat that by saying you can never make enough zombie movies as far as i'm concerned i agree i love a zombie <laughs> love zombie films but this one was a different take on it and i quite liked it yeah it was a completely different idea i mean the first 15 20 minutes even half an hour you you don't even see any zombies nope. you have these kids who are being treated like prisoners and you can't really understand why and you learn fairly quickly that these kids are infected with this fungal virus thing it's like mutated in them isn't it's it? mutated in them and they have the ability to behave perfectly normally in society until they smell blood or get hungry yeah at which point they become like crazed zombie like hungries as they call them and they attack and eat things yep people animals whatever it doesn't matter and it's a really it's a really interesting take on the zombie narrative apparently it's an amazing book. I've never I was read it. Say it must have been based on a book. It's a book called The Girl with All the Gifts. Loads of people on Instagram and Facebook were saying that it's an amazing book. I've never read it, but I'm going to add it to the list because I thought it was a really interesting zombie story. It was good. It was really good. I liked it. I liked the way they used the kids in terms of the storyline development. The little girl, <laughs> yes, who plays the girl with all the gifts, yeah. Melanie, is just gorgeous she is she is such a cute child that's a good it's a good she's a good character actually because it it bridges the concept of the zombie and humanity quite well because she we know from the start that she's that the scientists believe that she's just mimicking so that the fungus is causing her brain to mimic the behavior that she observes but actually as we go along that scientist changes their opinion and, and it becomes clear that actually there's more humanity to melanie than yeah, then, then her just being fundamentally a dangerous yeah. zombie. Yeah. And which she is, because yeah. she is terrifying when yep. she kicks off. <laughs> yeah, she is. And but she knows that what she does is wrong when she is in a zombie state, which is really interesting. So it makes you it's a really ethical dilemma mm. of a film and it and it plays out an ethical dilemma narrative rather yeah. than it just being about zombies and how do we find a cure or how do we kill them yeah yeah glenn close is in it yeah she's it, amazing in it it is essentially the dark timeline matilda literally <laughs> about an hour in i was like this is matilda but where matilda can eat people yeah this is what this story <laughs> yeah. is it's very there's a lot of a lot of sort of loose similarities to it where if you were to take that approach if you were to think about what matilda is about and then put it in a dark timeline it kind of makes sense it does make sense. Matilda is a very dark film. Yeah. A but, very dark book as well. But not overridingly dark. Again, not <laughs> Matilda eating people. Yeah, not if things go terribly wrong. <laughs> so what would you give this film out of five? I can't find a reason not to give it five, so I'm going to give it five. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. My reason for giving it a four is that even though it was like a brilliant film in terms of having a new take on the zombie narrative, I wasn't blown away by it. I thought it was really good. Fair. I thought it was interesting. It's 100% worth a watch, especially if you're a zombie film lover, because they do get very tried and tested and they kind of rehash the same the same old tropes in zombie films over and over again. But this one's completely different. I feel that I'm doing this rating system wrong because I always start from five and deduct. I probably need to go from zero and build up, don't I? Oh, I did not realise you did that. Well, when it's when it's the, that end, that's the, how I work it out. So our story this week. I am so excited about mm. this story. The research for this episode was fascinating. Okay. What are your thoughts on zombies in real life? Is it possible? I know if you cut a chicken's head off, it still runs around for a bit. Is that chicken 
likely to eat you? No, because it doesn't have a head. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think that there are zombie stories, you know, cultural zombie stories? Yeah, I think there's cultural zombie stories. And there's reasons why there are cultural zombie stories, which I'm not going to say now, but I might talk about later if you're lucky. Oh, if I'm lucky. Ooh, I'm excited. (laughs) So what we're going to talk about today is one true zombie story of money. Wow, so you're saying true. Yes. I'm saying true before we even begin. Is it Lazarus from the Bible? Because technically he's a zombie. Technically, yes. So is Jesus, technically, if you want to go down that route. (laughs) Uh, So no. Although we do talk about the Bible very briefly. It is not Jesus. It is not Lazarus. All right, okay. (laughs) Wait, what's his name? Lazarus? Yeah. I called him Lazarus. <laughs> like Nazareth. Like Nazareth, only a man who comes back from the dead. <laughs> Are you ready? Never. The zombie narrative isn't new. The book of Ezekiel describes a vision where Ezekiel is dropped into a boneyard and prophesies to the bones. The bones start to shake and become covered with muscle and flesh until they're reanimated, yet, there was no breath in them. And the book of Isaiah states, Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust. For thy dew is the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Moreover, passages abound in both the Old and New Testaments about the resurrection of saints and sinners in the end times. This may be just one reason so many zombie stories are associated with an apocalypse. Literary scholar Angela Becerra Weidegar believes that large-scale disasters such as Hiroshima and Nagasaki catapulted the zombie narrative into the modern psyche. We fear large-scale disasters, so we fictionalise deaths on a large scale and turn them into stories of survival of the fittest. From Romero's Night of the Living Dead in 1968 to The Walking Dead, zombies infiltrate our books and our screens and explore both our fear of death and our fear of what happens afterwards. So prevalent is zombie lore across cultures that the Centre for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, literally set up a zombie preparedness blog on their website as a way to teach people how to manage and prepare for large-scale biological and medical disasters. The site crashed on the first day that it went up because it had so many visitors. It is believed that the ancient Greeks were the first civilization to show at least a fear of the living dead. Archaeologists frequently found graves where skeletons were purposefully pinned down by rocks and boulders and other heavy objects and hypothesised that this was due to a genuine fear of these dead people reanimating. Folklore and superstition aside, what many people don't realise is that zombies are very real and have existed in our world for a very long time. What? On April the 30th, 1962, Clairvius Narcisse walked into Albert Schweitzer Hospital at Deschapelles in Haiti, complaining of a litany of worrying and serious symptoms. He had a raging fever, aches all over his body. He was exhausted and most alarmingly, he was vomiting up large quantities of blood. 
There are a number of illnesses that could be linked to symptoms such as these, but try as they might, the doctors and nurses could not make any improvements on Narcisse's condition. He rapidly deteriorated, and despite desperate intervention, Narcisse was pronounced dead at 1.15pm on the 2nd of May 1962. His sister Angelina was by his bedside at the time of his death, and she quickly alerted the rest of the family of the untimely demise of their brother. His other sister Mary Claire rushed to the hospital and his body was formally identified and placed in cold storage in the hospital morgue. The mourning family put funeral arrangements in place and on the 3rd of May, Clairvius Narcisse was buried in a small cemetery near his home in a service attended by his family and friends. The suddenness of the death and the swift nature of his funeral meant that the family returned 10 days later to place a stone memorial slab over the grave of Narcisse in keeping with the other graves in the cemetery. The death of a family member causes a gnawing pain that seems to grow into a gaping void before eventually beginning to slowly subside. Time, they say, is the best healer for grief. 18 years after Narcisse's death, Angelina was browsing in her village's bustling marketplace. Her other brother had recently passed away and she was still reading from both fresh grief and the resurfaced grief from the death of Narcisse. Angelina, lost in her thoughts, moved from stall to stall and did not notice that she was being watched. A man had been moving with Angelina through the stalls, keeping his distance, but pointedly watching her every move nonetheless. People will often talk about mistaking a stranger for a loved one who has passed for a split second on a busy street and feeling that overwhelming, swooping feeling of shock before realising that it is just a familiar-looking stranger. Perhaps Angelina had that exact feeling when this man approached her as she looked into his face and saw her long-dead brother. Perhaps she then dismissed this and in a split second reminded herself that it wasn't possible for it to be her brother. He was dead. That is, until he spoke to her. He addressed her by name and introduced himself to her using a nickname she had called him when they were children. She stared. This man was Clairvius Narcisse, her brother who died of a mysterious illness 18 years earlier. Her brother, who she had watched die, saw him being carted off to the morgue, saw him being buried and a boulder placed over his grave. Dr. Lamarck Duyon, a psychiatrist, was quickly made aware of Narcisse's return from the dead and questioned both the man and his family. It was established that this was indeed Narcisse and that there was no clear fraudulent, financial or social reason that the family or Narcisse would have somehow tried to orchestrate this elaborate hoax. So how is it possible? Clairvius Narcisse did indeed die and did indeed return from the grave 18 years later 
but the story is perhaps darker than our modern flesh-eating zombie narratives. In the 17th century, West African slaves were transported to Haiti and forced to work on sugar plantations. The brutal conditions of this life of slavery left the victims longing for freedom and escape and desperate to return to their homelands. The slaves believed that death would grant them passage to leafy, green, heavenly Africa, with no sugarcane to cut and no master to appease and serve. Suicide, however, was not an option. Although it was perhaps their only means of controlling their body, West African slaves feared that suicide would cause them to become a zombie, a lifeless and soulless entity that was cursed in death to eternally live as a field hand. It could be argued, therefore, that the idea of a zombie has direct links to slavery and that it is a notion that was born of brutal and inhumane conditions suffered by slaves. Originally, the zombie was defined as the living dead who are resurrected, never tire and take orders from their master. When the West African slaves were transported to Haiti, they were forced to convert to Catholicism and what resulted was a blend of both Catholic and West African mysticism, commonly known in Haitian tradition as voodoo. Voodoo witch doctors, known as Bokor, are believed to have the power to render their victims apparently dead, only to resurrect them, allowing either them or someone else the power to control them and do their bidding. And this is exactly what happened to Clairvius Narcisse. Because in all that time that he was dead, he wasn't actually dead at all. While Narcisse's condition was deteriorating in hospital, and it was assumed that he was comatose, he was very much awake and listening to everything that was happening around him. He was able to describe two psychiatrists in detail listening to the doctors pronouncing him dead. His sisters crying and discussing funeral arrangements. He remembered clearly being wheeled to the morgue and locked in an icy fridge. He remembered being placed into a coffin and the sound of nails as they were driven into the wood and the pain as a nail penetrated his cheek. He remembered the sound of the dirt being thrown upon his coffin. And then... Nothing. Silence. Narcisse stated that they called my name three times. Even as they cast the dirt on my coffin, I was not there. My flesh was there. But I floated here, moving wherever. I could hear everything that happened. Then they came. They had my soul. They called me, casting it into the ground. After some time in his coffin, Narcisse began to hear sounds. Scratching that was far away, but drew closer and closer to him. He realised that someone was digging him up. The lid was wrenched from his coffin and he was sat up. Still in his zombie-like trance, he stared into the faces of strange men. Narcisse said, 
that the earth opened up and then you sit up. They slapped me three times. Then they made me smell something. I was taken to the house of the Bokor and he cured my cheek where the nail of the coffin went through. Now Sise was kept in the house of the Bokor for eight days where he was questioned about his feuds and issues with the people in his life. The Bokor informed him that his family had paid for him to be zombified, specifically his brother, who he had had an argument with over the inheritance of their father's land. Narcisse was walked a great distance to a plantation owned by a Bokor called Joseph Jean. Here, Narcisse would exist and work for two years. He claimed that there were 151 other zombies working on the plantation. They worked in the fields from sunrise to sunset, never talking, completely unable to communicate. They all slept together in a giant hangar. What is so bizarre about this story is that Narcisse said that he was completely aware of his fate the entire time he was on the plantation. He was sad. He was aware that he was somehow being controlled. He missed his village. He missed his family. He was exhausted, but continued working. He was physically and mentally unable to escape his torture. The world seemed different and distorted. He had no ability to make conscious choices and decisions. He told a doctor in 1980 that a stream on the property looked to him like a massive raging river so he never tried to cross it to escape the zombies were fed once a day and all of the food they were fed was completely free of any salt they continued like this until one day a fellow zombie grabbed a hoe and killed the bokor after becoming unable to sustain the torture any further the widow of the bokor gave each of the zombies some salt and they were cured of the mysterious hold that was over them. Narcisse realised that the raging rapids were really a tiny stream, and he simply walked to his freedom. In Haitian zombie lore, salt is one of the only things that can be used to cure a zombie. There were physical, documented hospital records that stated that Clairvius Narcisse had died, which led Dr. Lamarck Duyon to hypothesize that these zombies absolutely existed. But somehow, the Bokor had the ability to render somebody dead, but then bring them back to life in a state that rendered them controllable, but mentally incapacitated. Wade Davis was a scientist who did not believe in voodoo magic, and nor was he interested in studying it. What he was interested in, though, was the possibility that the Bokor had figured out a drug that would make someone appear dead. Davis discovered that the Bokor would use herbs, shells, fish, animal parts, bones, and a lethal paralyzing toxin called tetrodotoxin to create zombie powders. Tetrodotoxin could be found in pufferfish, 
but also many other animals, like frogs. Used carefully at sub-lethal doses, the tetrodotoxin combination may cause zombie-like symptoms, such as difficulty walking, mental confusion, and respiratory problems. High doses of tetrodotoxin can lead to paralysis and coma. This could apparently cause someone to appear dead and be buried alive, and then later revived. There were many scientists who set about to disprove Davis's claims, and many also refuted the claims of Narcisse and his family. Many websites still simply referred to him as a mentally ill man who made up a wild story. Travel writer and occultist William Seabrook travelled to Haiti in 1927 and wrote a chapter in a book called Dead Men Working in Cane Fields. On first seeing the plight of slaves in the sugar cane fields, he wholeheartedly believed that these people confirmed the zombie legends and he slowly began to realise that far from being zombies, these people were broken human beings who had suffered years of trauma and abuse. Granted, while the zombie lore is rooted in the abuse of slaves, that still doesn't fully explain how Clairvius Narcisse was dead and buried and came back to life. I've got a couple of caveats that I should have started with and I didn't. Okay. Number one, I first heard this story on what the fuck is in this book. Absolutely recommend going and listening to that episode. I can't remember what number it is, but they did an episode about this story. And number two, if I've pronounced names, places, words wrong, I'm sorry. I did look up the pronunciations before this episode. Some of them were not very clear. So I did my best, but I'm sorry if I got names and pronunciations wrong. Narcisse sounds right to me. Clairvious, maybe not so much, but I did my best. (laughs) What are your thoughts on this story? I guess this is the origin story of the zombie meaning like songed out that kind of zombie rather than the biting teeth back from the dead kind of yeah the biting teeth back from the dead zombie was born with romero's like night of the living dead yeah before that a zombie and i didn't realize this before that a zombie was somebody who was brought back to life to do somebody else's bidding yeah it's different it was being controlled by somebody and that is very different than what we see as zombie narrative now so was frankenstein's monster a zombie then that's a really good question. For another time. Um, yes, it's a very sorry. interesting story. <laughs> it's a very interesting story. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, what's, what's, in that, what's in that powder? I guess in a way Davis had, had sort of military intentions for it, did he? He was just really interested. There was a lot of these people who travelled to Haiti for this kind of, it's going to sound awful, but like a fetishization of African culture mm. where they went because they were obsessed with the lives of black people in Haiti and what they were knocking around doing. So a lot of the things that they say are really quite inflammatory and, you know, very of the time, shall we say. Wade Davis was just really interested in this idea of zombies. And he believed that there was some, that there was some sort of drug that these witch doctors were using. So he believed the stories and he thought, well, actually there has to be, a scientific reason as to why these zombies keep yeah. appearing because um narcisse is not the only one there's loads of documented accounts of zombies returning after the dead after their death his claims were widely refuted by other scientists so they said so he claimed to have like infiltrated a voodoo ring where they showed him these powders 
and explained to him how they were used. And then other scientists said, well, it would be virtually impossible to be able to quantify what is a non-lethal and a lethal dose of these toxins. I don't really know what to say about this one, really. It seems quite self-explanatory. It's just a form of mind control, I guess, isn't it? That's essentially what it is. So they've got some kind of chemical toxin that can shut people down, which there's loads of stories about various different versions of that, isn't there? Like being able to... There's there's certain people in history that have claimed to be able to do that anyway without drugs. So yeah. to feign death, which I'm not sure how you do. Might be quite... A, cool trick to learn you can understand like the ancient greeks or whatever they had no tried and tested medical way of establishing when somebody had died and yeah. their medical knowledge was limited at best so i'd imagine things like that while they didn't happen all the time it might have been a semi-regular occurrence for yeah. somebody to be pronounced dead and then come back to life but we've said we've mentioned this before a lot of the a lot of the dead walk in the earth um mythology comes from people not actually being dead in the first place when they're being yeah. buried unfortunately <laughs> like the victorians had their bells yeah. to ring in their coffins because yeah. they were so terrified of being buried alive yeah so a lot of that comes from that anyway the interesting part of this i guess is is the role that the salt plays in it yes because there that would suggest that there's more than just chemicals being used because i don't know salt being a reviver unless it's a smelling salt but then then you wouldn't eat it would you no. but this this guy narciso said they were fed food without salt because salt is what would bring them back. And I mm. wonder if it's something to do with sodium levels in your blood. Potentially. And that that's why salt revives you. But he stuck, like, he completely stuck by his story. And the first first psychiatrist, um, whatever, I can't remember his name, Lanyon something, um, from the story, he was completely baffled. Mm. And he set about finding all of these other zombies and tracking down all these other zombie stories. Wow. But because in Haiti... At the time, like hospital records were few and far between. Narcisse just happened to go to a hospital where they kept kept immaculate records. So he was pronounced dead. His sister signed the death record. They had recorded when his body left the hospital, the whole shebang. So he was pronounced dead. I also feel like there's nothing to gain from this at all. When there's stories that are made up or there's a question about whether they're made up, there's often... The people that are involved in the stories, there's there's often something to gain from it. Are you about to bro my mind again? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, why do you always save this bit? Why don't you just include it in the story? Well, because <laughs> it makes it less interesting. Well, not less interesting, but apparently, I don't know if it's relevant to how mad this story is, but allegedly, and I read this in an article about this story, that Narcisse was hated in his community. That he had fathered loads of children, refused to marry any of, any of the mothers, refused to financially help them. That he had he had been discussing inheritance of the land with his brother, but the father wasn't even dead, which was seen as really disrespectful. Yep. So he was seen to be like a really kind of tight-fisted, not a very nice man. So there is an allegation that actually the village altogether decided to have him zombified that that was a way of getting rid of people that's still building into the fact that he got zombified what i meant was there's nothing to gain from lying about being zo- being a zombie that's oh no 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 nothing yeah. oh, sorry i thought you meant from the families no 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 but even you know and i read that narrative as though it somehow made the story it somehow explained the whole story well it doesn't really <laughs> just because he was a bad person or perceived to be a bad person doesn't mean that it's acceptable for him to be zombified and then for him to come back with this story i'll put something out there though if he was that hated could there have just been collusion to just get him taken away and kept in slavery as opposed to the fact that he died like could there have been collusion with the doctor to science i mean potentially 
Yeah, I guess. But if you were released from that, you'd just come out and say, actually, they've been keeping me in chains locked up, wouldn't you? You wouldn't come and go, oh, I was under a spell. Judging by the size of this hospital, so this hospital was big, modern, Mm. it kept records. It's likely that they lived in a pretty big area. So it's not like like it would be a local doctor where you could go, hey, you know this guy, you know how much of a dick he is. Can you sign off on these records? And they, they buried him. And just these random men came and dug him up and took him away. Hmm. And drugged him, apparently. But the really interesting thing is this drug, this tetrodotoxin. Tetrodoxy, what's it, is what I've written down. Te- Sorry, say that again? Tetrodoxy, what's it? <laughs> I think I might call it that from now on. It's easier to pronounce. <laughs> the scientist who refuted Wade Davis said there's no way that they can get this accurate every single time, that witch doctors can get this accurate. And that just assumes that witch doctors are doing this under the same banner as like I'm using the vertical commas western medicine and western science they're not of course they're not you can't just assume that because it doesn't fit into what we know of western medicine that they can't possibly get it right that's not the way things work definitely uh, part of a bigger narrative there (laughs) absolutely it definitely is it definitely is and interestingly, when these zombie narratives started to come out yeah. in, in Haiti, the American army went in to like fix things, you know, as these as these things generally happen with Western colonies. Um, so they went in to fix things, and instead of changing their like voodoo heritage, the army left with more fear and superstition of voodoo than they had when they arrived, and what? voodoo became more entrenched in society. I just. There's probably a lot of uh, there was probably a lot of interest in in this kind of control drug, I'd imagine, um, for people that would want to use it for other re- other means than it was intended. Well, no, because it would be the same means it was intended, but using it on a mass scale, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that, I guess that it doesn't surprise me that there was any that there that there was a foreign interest in it in general, and I guess just because of the historic relations with the US, it makes them more likely to be the 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 power that goes in rather than it just being about the US. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. I wonder if like some of that stuff that was mixed in with it, you know, Wade Davis was obviously folk, really focused on the drug. I wonder if some of that stuff that was mixed into it, like we don't, understand, we don't know ancient medicine very well, do we? So you don't know whether all the things that we think are just part of the, the ritual side of things actually probably have some chemical component in it. So maybe mixing it with bones and leaves actually releases something, releases something that we don't understand. And actually there's more, there's probably more to it than just this liquid. And we've probably just, you know, it's interesting. And we're we're kind of, we're very quick to embrace elements of like, you know, West African or voodoo or first people mysticism, like saging, for example. Mm. I mean, saging your house to get rid of negative energy. It's a Native American ritual, but we're very, we're very quick to accept things like that. But when it doesn't match with Western ideals, I mean, how many people are going to be quick to go, tell you what I can do, build a zombie army. Yeah. Because you don't want to accept that actually that might be something that people are capable of doing, just not in a way that we're familiar with. If you take zombies in in this form, though, this they're less scary. I mean, it's it's more sinister, but less scary. Yeah, so it is definitely more sinister. I mean, it's horrific. Yeah. And it, I, I added that bit about William Seabrook at the end because it kind of made me think, God, were people thinking mm. that these slaves were zombies because of the way they were behaving, because they were broken. They were broken people. And William Seabrook did when he, because he was an occultist and he was fascinated by the zombie stories that were coming out of Haiti, that he, when he went, he, you know, in the first half of the chapter, he says, 
I, I fully believed these people were zombies. Mm. Like that they were the resurrected living dead. But actually the more time he spent in Haiti and the more time he traveled around these slave plantations, he said, oh, they're not zombies. They're, they're slaves who have been really badly treated and, you know, abused and mm. horrific for all this time. Another kind of one of the scientific reasons as to why they believe that Narcisse made the story up is because they never found evidence of these zombie plantations. But listen, I'm not even going to go down that road. But this guy, so, yeah, but this guy like resurfaced in 1980, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So by this point, we've got zombie movies. So maybe they were just going in with like pictures from George A. Romero's movies going, well, I can't see any of these knocking around. Has anybody on your plantation uh, <laughs> murdered somebody, eaten their face yeah. and ripped their arms off? No, not zombies. Well, there's no zombies around here. Yeah, maybe they're just looking for the wrong kind of zombies. Maybe they are. I'd, I'd love it if they had like stills from the movie and they were going to the plantations going, have you seen this person? <laughs> this particular zombie? <laughs> yeah. This zombie. The zombie in a suit. <laughs> you know the way in zombie films there's also really comical, yeah. Yeah. comically dressed zombie, like yeah. a zombie in their pyjamas, yeah. a zombie in a suit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. I mean, imagine how flipping messed up you would have been being Angelica. Ange- Angelina. Angelina. The first time you realised that it was your brother that you buried 12 years ago not yeah, around and, in the market. And the, it, say if it is true that the family got rid of him, yeah. you'd be like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, you know that we've gotten rid of, sold you off I mean, in slavery. I'm guessing he was a little bit more annoyed in real life because he came across as very placid. Just grateful to be off the plantation, like off the zombie plantation. Well, there's in the quote from him where there's a bit where he's talking about when he was spent eight days in the Boker's house and the Boker told him, you know, there are people in your life that have done this to you. He said that he only returned after his brother died because he was afraid to go back while his brother was still alive because he believed that it was his brother that had actually done it to him. Imagine it was the whole village. (laughs) Yeah, they're all like you know there was one report that when he came back he had to be imprisoned for his own safety because everyone was so angry that he was back they were like we hate this guy we're gonna get him so it's hard to know like it's just i think it's really interesting that you know the modern perception of zombies as like skin eating flesh eating you know crazed creatures isn't actually how it started it started as a as a means of controlling people. But I guess it's also taken a different na- narrative now as well, isn't it? Because it seems to be very much more outbreak-based yes. than it was just people rising up from the dead for no reason. Do you know what I mean? It's now to do with disease and stuff that we don't understand. Which feeds kind of into our fears. Yeah. I know, obviously, there's an element of, of rabies attached to it as well, isn't it? And the impact that it has on on humans in terms of the biting and stuff like that that sort of fed the Romero narrative you know more about rabies than I do because I read one book <laughs> yeah that's sorry that's, that was a really weird thing to say in general you just FYI everybody Dan knows loads about rabies have you got any rabies questions you know where to go that's Dan, not true rabies. I read a book and I, my memory is not very good at all but obviously the the sort of the idea that the transformation that you see from rabies is it sort of feeds a lot of the law that we know about biting so things like um what they called werewolves and vampires and stuff like that that comes from, from yeah the, the effects of seeing transformation in humans suffering from rabies and there was something about um you were telling me something about rabid animals who like avoided water yeah so this part of the latest latter stages of um rabies is a it's called hydrophobia where you just you're actually scared of water which for people who didn't understand what rabies was yeah. must have been terrifying yeah. 
Most, and I always think about when you're talking about rabies, you know that chapter of To Kill a Mockingbird where the rabid dog yeah. and the fear, the absolute fear that that dog causes. And it doesn't bite anybody. They shoot it. You know, they get rid of the body. But that whole chapter is about how this rabid dog impacts everybody because everybody's so afraid of what this has the power to do. And I guess in a way, like if you had these bokors who had the ability to control people's minds to to kill people bring them back to life and then control them to do their bidding like how terrifying must that have been for like a western culture who never who who wouldn't just had no understanding of what this meant terrifying for sure but i think that's probably a bit of an understatement on western culture i think they've got plenty of practice of controlling people and using them to do stuff (laughs) yeah true (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to just do it in different ways yeah fair <laughs> but actually it sounded quite the way that you did use from your research it sounds like it's quite legit like it doesn't sound like the witch doctors just go around nabbing people it's like all people that other people have asked them to do it oh yeah <laughs> it's like apparently it's all like a part of this story was about how oh, this isn't funny at all because these people obviously suffered yeah. terribly but that the people that were chosen by the bokers weren't just chosen at random they yeah. were all people who a village had a set against them for whatever reason or they'd done something yep. really shitty and they were chosen and <laughs> they were the ones that were picked off. I also like how this guy, apparently this booker had like 150 odd zombie slaves and then one of them rises up and kills him and then his wife's like, yeah, I'm not having any of this. Here you go. Who's your sort going? Here's your sort. Fuck off. Because there's, there's different... Um, that's where the stories differ but I thought the wife given the salt was a better... a better... Okay, yeah. one of the better threads of that story. But there's some that that say that they just dispersed because he he, he couldn't control them anymore, so they all just dispersed. But it's it's I really feel, I don't feel like it's all I don't feel like it's all chemicals though. I feel like there is an element of of mysticism behind it. The salt thing just is just blows my mind. Like that gives me the heebies a little bit. Do you think? Well, because it's just so like he talks about. It must there must be some form of hallucinogen in there as well because he talks about seeing that raging river and then the curse being broken and it's actually just like a puddle. <laughs> yeah, it was just a stream, and yeah. he said that was how he demonstrated the distortion of the world mm. when he was under the influence of whatever this power was 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 this raging rapids that he couldn't cross, but it was actually when he was given the salt he realized it was only a tiny stream. Yeah, I just think it's fascinating. And there's so much we don't know about the kind of mysticism of other of other cultures. And I think it's like, I think it's crazy fascinating. Mm. I love it. And I don't think you should ever underestimate the power of a witch doctor. No. Never in a million years. Nope. Oh, you can see that from African football. I don't know what you mean. So a lot of African national teams have like not played games for various reasons because they've been told about something that a witch doctor has done and stuff like that like it, it there's a series there's still a hold on it and like I, i'm 100% with them <laughs> i wouldn't be doing anything <laughs> no way <laughs> yeah there's loads of stuff about it the, the role that it plays that it did play in sport i think it's slightly as a, as a lot of these national teams have sort of actually grown up elsewhere or applying their trade elsewhere it's kind of been squished a little bit more by sort of the impact of western culture and stuff like that but there's loads of stories about various different things teams having their own witch doctors and stuff like that that is amazing. And I'm, I think it's that rooted in your culture. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a witch doctor. Like my mum took my brother to a witch doctor. It's really common in Ireland. Not in, probably more so in rural Ireland, but we don't call them witch doctors. But 
that's what they are we call them people with the cure so yeah it's just mad I just thought it was a, an interesting little tale for mm. you would you like some new reviews yes please review number one comes from Run Sambo who says can't get enough of this hot tip don't listen to exorcism recordings when you're in bed in the house alone. <laughs> it's I my agree. new favourite podcast and I feel like Emma and Dan are my new best friends. Yes, that sounds a bit creepy. Not at all. Not in the slightest. And our second review comes from Dita Marie. Love this podcast. My new favourite podcast. So happy I just recently discovered it so I can binge listen to it now. And that is from Dita Marie in Denmark. Mm. Love it. And finally, we've got one from Matty7997, who says, Spooky but lighthearted. Been listening for a while now and I love the podcast. I listen every Monday following the Sunday uploads and it makes the start of my week much brighter. I love the real ghost story sent in by fans. Gives an unpredictable and spooky story every time. This, mixed in with the well-researched regional stories and folklore, gives gives it brilliant all-round listening. Emma and Dan have great chemistry, keeping the podcast lighthearted in between tales. To conclude, I love, love, love the podcast, so keep doing what you're doing. Hashtag, come on you irons. Hey. <laughs> we need that right now. Really need that. <laughs> um, I would also like to clarify that um, we got a review this week asking about our relationship status, whether we were married or siblings. And uh, I would just like to let you all know that we're both. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. That's not true, obviously. Listen to my accent. (laughs) Why did you say that? We're married. We're definitely not siblings. Just to to clarify, we're definitely not siblings. We are indeed an old married couple. Yes. If you enjoyed this week's episode and you would like to find us on social media, send us in a story, buy some merch... Or if you would like to support us on Patreon where you get loads of extra content for either $5 or $2, you can do so by going onto our web- website, which is www.reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.